It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. I told you what was going to happen when BYU lost their first game. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, the beard is gone. We're talking about that. We're all talking about BYU, what I learned after re-watching that loss to Oregon on film. And also, we'll talk about where they tumbled in the national rankings on a Monday edition of the show. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making us here on Locked On Cougars, your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. We are very proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where, of course, the motto is your team every day. And as such, this is your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Our goal here, simply stated, is to make you guys the smartest BYU fans in the room. As mentioned, my name is Jake. I work for the KSL Sports Zone in Salt Lake City, Utah, as the executive producer of DJ and PK, and I'm Moonlight here as your host talking all things BYU on a daily basis. All right, let's dive right in on today's show. I told you guys I had to take the beard off the second BYU lost. Okay, not the second, technically, but BYU lost that game to Oregon. Uh, Mrs. Hatch said, yes, it can finally come off. Well, apparently... uh, Come off meant two different things to my wife and I, not to get into this too much, but I thought, okay, we're shaving it. I'm, I'm clean shaven here for the first time in a month and a half. Uh, she actually wanted me just to like uh, kind of trim it down a little bit, uh, make it look, I guess, a little more neat. I don't know. So apparently I'm allowed to regrow it. Uh, so may uh, see that start to grow out over the next few weeks. But yeah, so 
Uh, clean shaven for the first time in a hot minute, but let's talk first off about BYU in the national rankings. Uh, BYU, after their 41-20 to loss to the Oregon Ducks, tumbled down the national polls, checking in at number 19 in the AP poll, number 23 in the coaches poll. And we talked about last week how they had entered the Super 16 poll, the FWAA, putting out their top 16 teams. BYU was 12th in that, obviously, with the, by virtue of their loss. They tumbled out of that as well. But I'm actually a little bit surprised. I said on the postcast edition, I thought BYU would check in around 20. Uh, sitting inside the top 20 still is a very, very good mark. And I, I think I've, I've made it pretty clear that I put a lot more stock into the AP poll versus the coaches poll. Uh, I just think that the AP poll, there's media members who watch a lot more games than coaches who are very much hyper-intensively fo- focused on their individual teams. And I think it's more of SIDs who are like, hey, coach, I filled out this poll for you. Want me to submit it? Yeah, submit it. So... The BYU mark of being a top twenty team, I actually think, is still a very fine uh, place to be if you're if you're the Cougars, and that, that's the thing about this right now is BYU. Obviously, they've got they've got their pride wounded a little bit. Uh, some of these guys got wounded in this game because it's a very physical game once again. A week after facing off against Baylor, and that's actually one of the observations I probably should make right now is I felt like BYU very much had not fully recovered from that Baylor win going up against Oregon. I don't really have anything uh, to, to say other than it just looked like BYU is, it was a step slow, a tad bit tentative at times, uh, maybe some bruised bodies that weren't necessarily 100% healed. Uh, these are the type of games, speaking of the Oregon game, where BYU very much could use a layup game between them. And that, by virtue of being an independent, the schedule is what it is. BYU's going to play 10 straight games this year, folks, before they get a bye week. They could have used what Oregon had. Oregon went and got absolutely crushed by Georgia the following week, they get a, a, a layup against Eastern Washington. How nice would it have been, in theory, had BYU beaten Baylor? This following week, they had the opportunity to play what they, their FCS game, say Utah Tech, this week, and then face Oregon the week after. That would probably be the more ideal scenario, but I think BYU learned something from this game. You cannot afford to let uh, the game from Baylor hold over to the next game. There were some people out there saying that the hangover effect doesn't actually exist. Okay, you know what? I don't necessarily know how to describe it, but there... BYU looked different in that game. So the fact that BYU tumbled from 12 to 19 after that loss to Oregon, I actually think is a mark of respect. There very easily could have been uh, media members, and there are some out there that probably dropped BYU out of their poll by virtue of that blowout loss. But BYU is still a top 20 team, folks. That's not a bad place to be for the Cougars as now they try and regroup a little bit and get ready for actually a sneaky, tough stretch here. Obviously, uh, Wyoming and Utah State are not necessarily the who's who of BYU schedule this this year, but you face off against Wyoming late on a Saturday night. Uh, you play that game. It's going to be an 8:15 kick, by the way, on ESPN2. We already knew it was going to be an 8:15 kick, regardless. We were waiting on the uh, TV uh, slot. Uh, it's going to be on ESPN2. Funny enough that Utah is going to be opposite them at Arizona State, who just fired Herm Edwards. Uh, they will be on uh, ESPN. That'll be at 8.30. So BYU will be getting ready uh, to face off against Wyoming. But then, late night, Saturday night, they don't practice on Sundays. They only really do treatment, and that's uh, that's all they really do on Sundays. Players will watch film and that type of stuff, but there's no formal team activities on Sunday. And then you've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you play Thursday against Utah State. This is going to be a sneaky, tough stretch for BYU, and they cannot afford to have any of the... I can't use the term hangover, apparently, 
the holdover, I guess is the term I'll go with, uh, when it comes to BYU getting ready for this stretch against Wyoming and Utah State. Now, if you're wondering uh, about how betters are looking at this game for BYU against Wyoming, the opening lines from our friends at Bet Online, we'll get more on them here in a moment, have BYU as a 20 and a half point favorite, 20.5 points. They think BYU's three touchdowns better than Wyoming. So, in theory, BYU should go out and cruise in this game against the Cowboys. The Cowboys uh, beat Air Force stunningly enough uh, this past week on a Friday night game. Air Force was considered to be one of the top, if not the top team in the Mountain West. A stunning loss, frankly, for them to lose to Wyoming. But Wyoming took advantage of their opportunities in that game and ground out a 17-14 victory. This is a team that's coming into BYU. It's going to be hungry. They're going to be thinking, okay, BYU's wounded here. Let's go out and see if we can uh, notch another uh, pelt and tack it up on our wall. And that's the thing about this. This is a big opportunity for Wyoming, but it's a big opportunity for BYU to bounce back in a big way and hopefully obliterate Wyoming and get back into the win column. Uh, I, the other thing about this, real quick, before we get to our film review, is BYU sitting at 2-1 and one right now. Wasn't there a lot of us out there that thought BYU could be 1-2 and two at this point in the season? I think we all thought that USF, BYU would win that game. But the concern was, you face off against the defending Big 12 champion in Baylor, and then the very next week you have to go to Oregon. I think a lot of us were concerned that it might be a one and two start for the Cougars. I, I thought all along that if you were able to get off to a two and one start in the offseason, it would be uh, actually a pretty good start to the year for the Cougars. And I think it's still a very good start. I know that in the moment, the loss hurts, especially the nature of it, because you weren't competitive in that game. That's kind of the one thing. And we're going to get to my film review here momentarily, as I said, but you were not competitive in this game. So it feels different just simply due to the fact that you, for lack of a better term, didn't show up against Oregon. Obviously, they showed up that played the game. You, you get the expression there. So it's a tough thing to absorb in the moment, but BYU's still off to a very good start, and they are still a top 20 team, and that's a good spot to be if you're the BYU football program. I would wear that as a badge of honor, that considering the, the nature of that loss to Oregon on national TV, middle of the day, no East Coast media member can say, well, I, I didn't stay up and watch it. No, they all saw it. It started at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. That That's a sweet spot for a lot of games, and the nature of that loss for BYU you just to tumble only seven spots. I know that sounds weird, but for them to still be inside the top 20, I think that's a good spot for the Cougars to be in. And now they look forward uh, to getting ready for Wyoming. And uh, I'm going to have a sneaking suspicion that I think BYU is going to have something special cooked up for when Wyoming shows up. I think this is going to be a team, speaking of the Cougars, that's going to be quite angry for these next two games, trying to take out some of that frustration from that loss against Oregon against both the Cowboys and obviously their in-state rival, Utah State, just five days later. So it's a it's a big stage coming up this weekend. It's not a marquee opponent by any means because Wyoming's not what they could be had they not been rated by the transfer portal. They would actually be a very formidable team, I feel like. But Nonetheless, that's the next team up on the schedule now. You try to make it 3-1 and one and then follow that by making it 4-1 and one in the month of September. I think that actually be a pretty good month if BYU's 4-1 and one coming out of the first month of the season. But getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there, let's focus on the here and now. So we'll talk about what I took away from the uh, Oregon loss as I rewatched the film. I rewatched the entirety of the game. Yes, I subjected myself to the horror of all of that. We'll get to that momentarily. As mentioned, our friends over at Bet Online have installed BYU as a 20.5-point favorite over the Wyoming Cowboys. Cowboys Saturday night. I want to remind you guys that Bet Online is your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports information this season. If you want to get in on the action on Monday Night Football tonight, two different games, you can take advantage of that now. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts now. It's all available at Bet Online as they are your continued source for your sports wagering information.
action, including live betting, esports, and scores. It's also the fastest and the easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action available to you now. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show, downloading it, uh, you guys' views on YouTube. The many ways you guys consume this, it makes my day go... How do I say that? It makes my world go around that you guys think this is a quality product that you enjoy. And trust me, your guys' kind words, etc., they keep me going. So thank you for your support on that front. All right, time to pull up my phone here, my little notes app, as I wrote down what I took away from the Oregon uh, tape as I rewatched BYU taking on Oregon. And the number one thing I want to pass along defensively for BYU is... I, I did not recognize this BYU defense from the Baylor game to the Oregon game. It seemed like they regressed six, eight, nine months from the Baylor game to Oregon. They were taking bad angles, diving at ankle, uh, taking bad angles, diving at ankles when they're trying to make tackles, letting guys slip out of their grasp, trying to arm tackle dudes. It felt like I was watching the tail end of 2021 versus what we saw against Baylor the week prior. The week prior for BYU, they were taking proper angles. They're filling gaps properly. The defensive line was going toe-to-toe with one of the best offensive lines in the country in most people's eyes in the Baylor Bears. It seemed like BYU regressed, like I said, nine to ten months in a matter of days when they went up to Oregon. Oregon was kind of on, well, let me just say this. Watching Oregon on defense, they were more like BYU against Baylor. BYU looked like a team that just showed up and was like, all right, let's see what we can do. Now, obviously, you're under a little bit of an avalanche as you fall behind early and you're trying to play catch-up. Kalani Satake told Allison Williams, the sideline reporter, uh, she reported at the very first drive for Oregon, she said that Kalani Sataki went up to his defense and said, stop worrying about the guys around you. Focus on doing your 111th. That's something that BYU struggled with last year. A lot of guys trying to make the play outside of their position responsibilities. That was a thing that BYU, we, we've talked about that last season. It was something that the coaches talked about. Doing your part. Doing your 111th on any given play. In this game against Oregon, too many guys were trying to make the play on their own and not doing what they were supposed to do. The defensive line was taking the path of least resistance. I saw multiple times guys would come out. They're supposed to two-gap. They're supposed to kind of feel where the pressure is coming from, from the offensive line and fight to where that pressure is coming from. Instead, what do they do? They march right to the to the weak side of the play and are like, all right, I'm, ole, I'm going to go that way. You can't have that. I thought BYU's linebackers actually played fairly well considering the circumstances. I felt like BYU's defensive line in this matchup gave uh, BYU's linebackers a bad rap. Guys like Max Tooley, Ben Bywater, Keenan Peely, uh, Peyton Wilgar, etc. They all had their moments in this game. I actually thought they were fairly good. The defense Defensive line put them in almost no-win scenarios multiple times in this matchup. And if that means that having uh, Earl Tuioti Mariner and also Tyler Batty out, are, are, is this how the defensive line is going to play when those two are out? This defensive line, it, they're getting a tongue lashing, I would imagine, in film review. Because 
If I'm seeing it, trust me, Elisa Tuiaki and Preston Hadley, who coach BYU's defensive line, they're going to let these guys have it. Jan Jorgensen, who's also one of the uh, analysts helping with BYU's defensive line, he's going to let them hear it. It was not good enough. It was frankly embarrassing how BYU's defensive line played in that game. I'm not singling out any single player. Let me be very clear about that. The defensive line as a whole struggled. Now, one other note on this. Logan Latui is a walk-on transfer from, uh, from Weber State who joined the program this summer. He started for BYU in the spot that Tyler Batty normally occupies. What does it say that a transfer from Weber State, who is a walk-on to the program, is the number two guy at defensive end for BYU? I... I I, I'm frankly stunned. And Logan Latui, he he's a he's a good player. He actually had very very good moments at Weber State from everything I've heard slash seen. And but for him to come in, like I said, as a transfer walk on into the program, for him to emerge as the number two defensive end where Tyler Batty typically plays, what does that say about the other guys on BYU's roster who are scholarship players? I've got some questions about the recruiting philosophy, the fit, the development. That that screams to me that there has been some misidentification in the in the recruiting process, and guys have not lived up to their billing. Like I said, the defensive line, it was disappointing because I actually felt like BYU's linebackers had their moments in this game. Ben Bywater had a nice interception. I thought Max Tooley may have been BYU's best defensive player on the field uh, for BYU in the game. Losing Caleb Hayes early on in this one, I'm not 100% certain what happened to him. He came off almost a little woozy. I wonder if it was a concussion concern, but at the same time, I, I don't know. They never said what exactly he was dealing with, but he came off the field. I thought Gabe Judy Lally came in, and his pass interference notwithstanding, that's a play you have to uh, give up that penalty. You can't not give up the touchdown. I thought he was very, very good. Gabe Judy Lally, to me, is maybe BYU's best tackler and run stuffer when it comes to the defensive backs. He's not afraid of contact. And I, I'm not saying that any of these guys are, but what he does is he comes up and he's absolutely physical at the point of attack on the perimeter. I really like how Gabe Judy Lally went about things. Now, the other thing on the defensive side, before we get to some offensive notes, is I felt like, and let me make sure that I noted this right. Oh, yeah. So the biggest thing for BYU... When it came to their uh, defensive fits, BYU did not adjust uh, their defensive alignment until uh, the fourth quarter of this game. BYU started the game in that 3-4 kind of alignment. And what it is, is Logan Latui was playing in the spot that Tyler Batty is. It's a stand-up edge rusher role where he sometimes actually lines up as the middle linebacker. If you pay attention, you saw number 59, Logan Latui, actually playing alongside guys like Keenan Peely and Peyton Wilgar in the middle of the field. Well, he also will go up to either the left or the right side as a pass rusher as well. BYU played with that alignment for the vast majority of this game and got absolutely walloped in the run game. i got to tip my cap to, to Oregon's run uh, coordinator, if they have a run game coordinator, or just Kenny Dillingham, their offensive coordinator. The pull around, they had actually pulled an, an offensive tackle from the backside to the front side of the play along with an H-back or a tight end into that hole, and they were absolutely mauling BYU. That Oregon offensive line lived up to their billing. They were very, very good in this game, and BYU just could not stop it. But then BYU actually in the fourth quarter went to a true four-down lineman, threw four guys with their hand in the dirt, and they actually had a little more success, it felt like. And at that point, you're under it. It was 38-7 to at one point. You get it back to 38-20. Oregon has to put their starters back in, and then Oregon actually came out with their starters and put on 10 yard runs, run after run it felt like, to put a capper on this game. Got that field goal to make it 41-20 and that's all she wrote. So, the defense, 
did not have a good day by and large, but I, it, my observation was the defensive line, they did not live up to what they did the week before against Baylor. Were guys beat up and not feeling like uh, putting 100% effort into it? I, I don't know, but it just it was not good enough for BYU in this type of a game. Now, offensively, a couple of things. This was like the the Cody Epps breakout game. I know it got lost just because it was an avalanche and you're losing, but Cody Epps actually emerged as one of BYU's better players in this game. Actually, I think, I'm going to pull this up right now. Yeah, the PFF grades actually had Cody... Excuse me, Cody Epps as the highest graded player for BYU in this game. Now, the grades, frankly, were not all that great. But Cody Epps scored a 76.5, according to Pro Football Focus, their college arm, uh, tracking all these players. And I, I thought Cody Epps had his finest game in a BYU uniform. He's actually emerging as a guy. I think a lot of BYU fans have been hoping to see him and get an opportunity to see what he can do. This was the game to do it. If you go back and watch what he did, I thought he was very good. I thought Chase Roberts had his, had his opportunities in this one. And I said this in the postcast. Jaron Hall, he was not the weak link in this game. Jaron Hall was absolutely balling out. He showed off the strongest and best arm I have ever seen on him. And trust me, we already knew that he had a very good arm. But he was absolutely slinging it against Oregon. He was also getting a lot of opportunities. Could be why he was trying to play catch-up for most of that game. But... He was very, very good in this one. The other thing about this, late in the game, uh, in the fourth quarter, the final drive for BYU, they tried to tack on some extra points, uh, called those timeouts, etc. All of a sudden, BYU was attacking the middle of the field a little bit more than they were earlier on in the game. I saw, was it three passes in a row to tight ends for BYU? Isaac Rex caught one of them. I think uh, Dallin Holker got two of them. Actually, it might have been four in a row. Dallin Holker might have had actually three in a row. But regardless, I was seeing BYU attack with the tight ends a little bit more. And I'm like, where has this been? Like, Why has that not been? more utilized. Maybe it just the, the alignment for all of a sudden that Oregon went to, they went to more of a prevent. It allowed the middle of the field to open up a little bit, but you would have liked to see BYU's tight ends get more of an opportunity in this game. Now, Isaac Rex, the touchdown pass to him, that play design was absolute money. That, like, that was wizardry from Aaron Roderick once again. And Aaron Roderick, uh, the some of the run fits in this game didn't necessarily work. And that that happens. Because Oregon, I think BYU thought that they can compete a little more on the speed side of things, go east-west and try and test the edges of Oregon's defense. Oregon's defense lived up to the billing. They were absolutely lights out. Now, the other thing about this, the first quarter for BYU's offensive line, I actually thought they were pretty good in the run game. I thought BYU's running backs, Chris Brooks, Lopini Katoa, were getting decent yardage in the first uh, half. Actually, after the end of the first quarter, let me write, let me check this. Yeah, they had 37 rushing yards in this game against Oregon. They finished with just over 60. So they had more than half of their yards in the very first quarter. And now, when you're under it like BYU was in the second and third quarters, you're starting to throw the ball more, and you're not going to run the ball as much. But I actually thought that it, in the second quarter, about midway through, it felt like Oregon uh, kind of figured out what BYU was trying to do with that wide zone and started really stunting and blitzing into it. The other thing about it, Oregon started the game thinking, you know what, we can combat BYU's offensive line with a six or a five-man box, and BYU's offensive line actually had their way with it. That's when Oregon also shifted their philosophy to bring in six and seven men into the box, trusting that the back end of their secondary, the cornerbacks and the safeties, could hold up one-on-one with BYU's wide receivers in coverage. Those corners held up by and large. They had some moments. uh, Christian Gonzalez 
He is Oregon's best uh, cover corner. He lived up to the billing. Anytime BYU went at him, he was making play after play. Now, the other side, uh, BYU had their most success, but it, Oregon realized, you know what? We're going to test our cornerbacks. These are the twos. These are the second stringers for BYU's wide receivers. We are going to make them beat us with their arm and force BYU to beat us by getting these guys open if they want to win this game. And they stacked the box and made running the ball very, very difficult for BYU. It, it was a not... It was not a good performance for BYU's offensive line or the running backs. Because there were times I felt like Lupini Katoa and Christopher Brooks, their vision failed them a little bit as well. But the offensive line for BYU, the right side in particular, had its issues. There was uh, movement. Uh, we saw Joe Tukuafu enter the lineup at one point in this game. Campbell Barrington and Kingsley Suomataia also were splitting time at right tackle. Uh, they need to solidify the right side of that offensive line. I feel like the left side is very, very good. Uh, the 10 uh, in the grades from PFF, actually Blake Freeland... Uh, graded out fairly high. His pass blocking grade was actually far higher than his run blocking grade, but you'd expect that for BYU's offensive line. The pass blocking was actually pretty darn good for most of that game against Oregon. The run blocking just wasn't up to snuff. And like I said, nobody is... uh, I'm not here to say that X, Y, or Z are the reasons why BYU's run game is not working, but it's not functioning the way it's supposed to be. That's partially on the offensive line. I know that they will take the blame. I'm sure that Christopher Brooks and Orlopini Katoa would take plenty of the blame they were given that opportunity uh, as well but they've got to find an answer and obviously the cure for what ails you might be a much softer defensive line or I guess a, a not as talented defensive line that's probably what I'm expecting well, no no that's not probably what I'm expecting that's what I'm expecting from Wyoming they don't have the same caliber of athletes that Baylor and or Oregon have that might be the answer for this in this game but uh, we'll see I, I, I they need to get back to doing what they're doing and by the way the other thing about this is uh, Gregor Bell tweeted this out I'm actually going to pull this up right now. I, I probably should have had it queued up on the screen to share with you guys, but uh, Gregor Bell tweeted out that BYU's red zone scoring right now is actually quite abysmal considering the last two years they were so good. Okay, here it is right here. It's early, but BYU's red zone numbers are sharply off from the rankings from the preceding two seasons. Red zone scoring percentage rank BYU in 2020 was 19th. 2021, they were 25th. So it very much in the top echelon of college football. Right now, 113th. The last time they were this bad, 2019, they were 120th. I remember that 2019 season, we talked about BYU's red zone woes. Now, red zone touchdown percentage rank is also a very, very high thing that BYU uh, is focused on. In 2020, they were 7th in the country. In 2021, 3rd. Tyler Algier was absolute money inside the red zone. He was scoring touchdown after touchdown. We all saw it. Right now, BYU, 112th in red zone touchdown percentage. The last time they were that bad, 2019 at 107th. They need to get back to focusing on executing in the red zone. This is going back to, I remember 2019, we talked about this. I talked about this on the podcast, is that BYU's red zone numbers were abysmal, and the coaches talked about it. Aaron Roderick said, we've got to execute in the red zone. We've got to be better about getting touchdowns. We can't just take field goals every time. Kalani Satake said similar things during the 2019 season. Like Greg said, it's very early on this season, but those numbers are way down next to where they were in 2019 when BYU did have to settle for three a lot. Right now, BYU's kicker situation, I don't know know exactly what to make of it. Hoping to get some more clarification from Kalani Satake when he speaks to the media later today. Uh, If you're watching this on Monday morning, he'll speak at noon along with some players, and hopefully we'll get some clarification there. But 
Right now, BYU's got to get back to doing kind of their bread and butter. And like I said, the, the run game, it's not been good the last two games. They've gone, uh, gone up against two very, very talented defensive fronts. Now, can you figure out what is affecting that and then get ready, use these next two games against both Utah State and Wyoming to figure it out? And then you got two very, very good defensive fronts you're facing off against uh, when it comes to Notre Dame and Arkansas the two games after that. So you got a, you got a few weeks here to figure it out. I'm looking forward to catching up with Clark Barrington, planning on speaking with him later tonight. We'll put that on tomorrow's podcast and get his thoughts on where things stand for the run game, get kind of his insight on that. We'll have that for you guys on tomorrow's show. All right, so there go. Some of my takeaways uh, from BYU and my film review of this one, like I said, it just it was not a good game across the board by and large. Uh, Jaron Hall, really, in my opinion, outside of him, Cody Epps, uh, anybody else, like Max Tooley, I'd give a shout out to. Oh, also, John Nelson. John Nelson's kind of developed into maybe BYU's best, most consistent defensive lineman. I thought he was the most consistent guy on Saturday, just on my film review, watching him against Oregon. And then, oh, <laughs> um, on the not smooth snap or not a smooth snap that the Pac-12 crew gave the ball back to Oregon dubiously. I looked at the rule book. A couple of you actually texted and or tweeted at me and sent me messages saying that you looked at the rule book. There is no rule on the books that says that that is an actual call. It's not because the way that it was called, I listened to the call. They called it a snap infraction. Now, a snap infraction indicates when a center um, almost double clutches a snap. And what that means is they'll kind of like fake like they're snapping and then put the ball back where it's supposed to be uh, placed and then snap it again. It's called a double clutch. It's a snap infraction. That's a false start. Uh, now, if that's what they saw, I think, I think that's what they're trying to qualify that call as. But there was no snap infraction on that snap. Uh, Forsyth, their center, he just snapped the ball into his own rear end. I think he might have thought that the quarterback was under center. I don't know what he was thinking. But he snapped that into his own rear end. That was a live ball. And that should have been BYU's ball. Because Lorenzo Fawatea, heads up to heads up play by him. Because uh, some of the other heads up plays in this game for BYU were not there. But heads up play by him to pounce on that football. That should have been BYU ball. I, I will go to my grave saying that, but if anybody can find some clarification on that and let me know that I'm wrong, everything that I've read and or seen and had watched that, the call they made, that was not a snap infraction. That was a fumbled snap, and that should have been BYU football. All right. Now I'm done. We'll get to some final notes as we round out the weekend for other BYU sports. Actually, a very successful weekend considering the weekend before. Not so good for BYU women's volleyball and also BYU women's soccer. We'll get to all of that in just a moment as we continue on right here on Locked on Cougars. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. All right, BYU Women's Volleyball had a great weekend. Uh, they ended up sweeping their in-state games. Uh, BYU beat uh, number the number 15-ranked BYU Cougars, beat in-state rival Utah on Thursday night in four sets, and then followed that up uh, two nights later at home in Provo at the Smith Fieldhouse. Aaron Livingston notched a team high 10 kills and helped the Cougars uh, beat UVU 3-0 in straight sets to close out their non-conference slate. BYU will now get ready for conference play. I believe that is going to start, yeah, September 20. 
22nd. Uh, they will host Loyola Marymount later this week. Looking forward to that. Uh, that'll be at 7 o'clock. And they'll also face off against number 22 Pepperdine at 1 o'clock on Saturday. Both of those at the Smith Fieldhouse. If you want to get tickets, go to BYUtickets.com or you can watch them on BYU TV. Now also, BYU Women's Soccer had a successful weekend as well. Uh, they gave up a late equalizer in a 1-1 draw on the road in Logan against Utah State. That was disappointing, obviously, on Thursday night. But then Saturday, a similar situation took place. Olivia Wade uh, scored early for BYU. Utah actually scored in the 88th minute to tie things up in this one. You're like, oh my gosh, same thing's going to happen again. Well, Olivia Wade to the rescue because she comes in in the 89th minute to score the game winner to give BYU a thrilling 2-1 victory over Utah. The Cougars on the women's soccer side of things are ranked number 25 in the country. By virtue of these two wins, uh, they will probably move up in the national rankings once again, but a huge, huge late win for BYU. Their first win, actually, in two weeks for the Cougars. Uh, That obviously is a thrilling, thrilling moment. Olivia Wade with the brace, uh, getting that win for the Cougars, and they have not lost to Utah now in women's soccer in eight years. Uh, They're going to have two weeks off now, a really, really long time off, before they open West Coast Conference play against St. Mary's. That'll be on Saturday, October 1st. I don't know why they're taking two weeks off, but hopefully they can use that time well before they get ready for West Coast Conference play. Uh, We'll keep you updated as that that game against St. Mary's gets a little bit closer on Saturday, October 1st, but a full two weeks off for women's soccer. At least they get a celebrated win rather than settling for that draw once again to the Utes. All right, that is going to do it for today's edition of the podcast. A huge thank you to you guys for all of your support as always always love talking with you and oh by the way if you're looking for a team that's in action earlier this week BYU Women's uh, Golf they're actually in uh, Tennessee for the Mercedes-Benz Collegiate Championship that is at Knoxville Tennessee hosted by the University of Tennessee the Volunteers hosting that one uh, down in Knoxville. All right, there you go. Now we're done. Big thank you once again for making us your first listen of the day. Want to make sure you guys uh, would go over, make your second listen, our friends over at the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Josh Neighbors does a great job making sure you're up to date on everything when it comes to BYU sports. Would encourage you guys to download that show or get it free wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. It's always, always good stuff uh, from Josh and the crew over there at Locked On Big 12. That's going to do it for us. Have a great rest of your Monday. Join us back here tomorrow as Clark Barrington joins us for his weekly appearance. And of course, we'll talk about everything else going on in the lead up to Wyoming this coming Saturday. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya. The NCAA tournament is almost here. And listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.